Good news. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. For food, Proverbs 31, 14. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. <clears throat> this word bringeth food and afar. Did you guys look it up? What are synonyms of those words in your King James Bible? Enter. To enter. Come. To come. Go in. What? Go in. Go in. Abide. Abide. Attain. To attain. She's hoping to get something to eat, right? But she's like the merchant ships, and where she goes for this food and brings it back to her household, you will find that this woman goes for, number one, one bread in a far country. Right? Yes. Right. She bringeth her food from afar. Now, the word bread in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. If you care to turn there. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. You will find that Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited Judah with bread. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Words out. It even is in Gentile countries now that, the God, that God visited Bethlehem with bread. That is awesome. And the Lord gives a description of this bread in Exodus 16, 4, and John 6, 32-35. Now, the thing about it is, this word bread is the same Hebrew word that's translated as food in Proverbs 31, 14. Check it out. So that means she's like the merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar, what is it the virtuous woman is looking for? What is she bringing home? She's bringing back bread. So this food, is it bread? Can you with confidence say, this is bread? Yes, you can. Because, and I'll say it one more time, the same word, Hebrew word, translated as food in Ruth um, 1.6, I'm sorry, translated as bread in Ruth 1.6 is the same Hebrew word translated as food in Proverbs 31.14. So think about it. Is Ruth a virtuous woman? Yes. yes. Is she, according to this, has she heard even when she was in Moab, there was food in Bethlehem? Yes. And remember, there's a famine in Moab, so this was a pretty big deal to hear there was food in Bethlehem. Well, so when she 
when Proverbs 31, 14 was penned, God said she went afar looking for food. Did she go looking for bread? Yes. Yes, she did. You can with confidence say that. Now, in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. What, what did God rain from heaven for the Israelites to eat when they were in the wilderness? The very first thing he gave them. What was it? Do you remember? Manna. manna. Uh -huh. He rained manna from heaven. Well, when you look at Exodus 16.4, says, he says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Do you suppose it's possible then that that bread from heaven was the manna that he was giving them? In Psalm, if you want to look, 78. Verse 23. Well, let's start with verse 22. Talking about um, Israel. They didn't believe the Lord. Verse 22, they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Do you realize how rich this is? He gave them manna, it says here. In Exodus 16.4, it says it rained bread from heaven. Is bread then and manna the same thing? Yes. Yes. I read up on manna one time just for grins, kind of, to see what um, people had to say, scholarly, evangelistic people had to say about <laughs> manna, because I was hoping I'd learn something other than this. That was stupid, but I did it. What I found out was men say... They don't know what manna is. Look it up. You will find that to be true. You ask the scholarly evangelists, what is manna? Oh, we just can't be sure what manna is. Because it comes from a word, M-O-N, spoken in Hebrew by the um, Israelites. And that word, M-O-N, simply means, I don't know. And so, that's why they called it manna. No. The Bible says it was bread. So if you're curious about what manna was, you know, you hear it's little wafer, honey wafers and all this. Okay. All I know, the Bible says it was bread. What kind of bread? I'm not sure, but it was bread. And how important is that, that it was bread? It is so 
important because of John 6:32 through 35. Now this is where the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. In John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses, what's he referring to? Gave you not that bread from heaven. What's he referring to? He's talking about Exodus 13, 4. He's talking about Psalms 78, verses... 22 through 24. And John says, Our fathers did eat manna, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And then they saith unto, unto him, Lord, Evermore, Lord, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. So, when you go back to what's happening to the virtuous woman, she brings her bread, she brings her food from a faraway place. Afar, it says. And you go, well, how far was that? Well, we're going to look at it. But in Exodus and John, who is the true bread from heaven? Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. So was there hope for a redeemer in Bethlehem? Yes. Was there hope for Ruth? When yes. she went back to Bethlehem, she was going to find bread. Yes. Yes. Is there hope for this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, uh, 14, when she goes looking for bread in a far country that she's going to find it. Yes. yes, there is. The bread is Christ. Proverbs 25, 25 says, As cold water, cold waters to a thirsty land, so is good news from a far country. Good news from a far country. Now, the interesting thing is, the virtuous woman went looking for this bread from afar. There is good news from a far country. Look at Isaiah. No, this isn't, I don't think in your study guide. Look at Isaiah 13.5. Isaiah 13.5. This is an awesome, this is awesome scripture. This is, this is goosebump stuff. If you look at Isaiah 13, 4, it says, The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven. There's your answer to the far country. Where is the far country? Where is it at? It's from the ends of heaven. Even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. We're going to be a part of this? We're going to be a part of this. Jesus is coming. 
And when he comes, he's coming as a warrior, right? After the rapture of the church, Jesus is going to come again. And he's coming as a warrior. I'm planning on being there. Hope you are. And it says they come from a far country. That's heaven. And the signs of the north. I want to give you the scriptures real quick on heaven being where it is. Maybe. Hang on. Yes. In Psalm chapter 48 and verse 2. Psalm 48, 2. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. And then in Psalm 125 and verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. You get it? They're coming from heaven. And where is heaven? It is a called a far country in Isaiah 13, 5. So where is this woman getting good news from? Where is she going for food? This is a church. This is us individually and collectively looking for food spiritually. So where are you going to go? You're going to go to the sides of the north. You're going to go to the far country. You are going to stand at heaven's gates calling out the name of Jesus because he is the bread. And you go, wow, how do I do that? It's so easy. All you do is open this book and read it. Open your Bible. This right here that we hold in our hands and call the Word of God is bread from a far country. Amen. You got it right here. So when the virtuous woman goes looking for this bread, she's just looking for the Word of God. She goes, you know what? I'm, the, I'm like a merchant ship, and I'm going to bring this food. I'm going to bring this Word right from heaven itself to whoever will listen. Now, why did Naomi return to Judah from Moab after her husband's death? It was simply because of a broken heart. She had heard about the food she had heard about the bread, Ruth had, and she and Ruth left this country of Moab, of idol worship, and like this merchant ship, went looking for a hope of a redeemer in a far country. Did they find it? Did they find a redeemer? Yes. What was his name? Boaz. <coughs> and he was in Bethlehem. <laughs> oh, there's so much. Isn't it rich? Isn't God's yes. word good? Yes. Well, Naomi and Ruth were looking for food in Judah, but they were looking for different reasons. 
Why did Naomi go back? Psalms chapter 51 and verse 17 talks about a broken heart. If you've ever had one, and you go, I don't know if I've ever had a broken heart, then you've not had one. <laughs> because it's like saying, I don't know if I've ever had a broken leg. <laughs> you know, well, odds are if you don't know you haven't had a broken leg, then you probably haven't. But if you've broken a bone, believe me, from experience, I can testify you will remember. In Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. If you look at Psalm 107 and verses 23 through 30, Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30, This is Naomi all over the place. It's, it's really her. They that go down to the sand ships that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. I hadn't turned it on. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven and go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. This is Naomi. They're looking for bread in a far country. Proverbs 31, 14. We know that this food that they are bringing from afar is actually bread from heaven. That the bread is Jesus Christ. So when you look at why they're going back, Naomi had a broken heart. She is living reality of Psalms 51, 17 and Psalm 107, 23 through 30. And she finally got to the end of her wits. You ever said that? I'm just at my wits end. <laughs> that word wits in Psalm 107 and verse, uh, what was it, 27, simply means wisdom. If you check it out and run it through your Old Testament, you will find out that word wit is also translated as wisdom. They've just come to the end of everything. So what did she do? She was going home to Bethlehem. What about Ruth? Why did Ruth go back to Judah with Naomi? Why'd she go? Well, she, huh? She wanted to know God. She wanted to know the Lord. That's easy. She left Moab because she wanted to know the same God Naomi knew. That was why she was going back. Remember? <laughs> Moab, or Naomi gave Ruth and Orpah the same chance to make the decision. Yes. You want to you wanna go back to the gods? Here's your chance right here on this road. Go home. Orpah went. But remember, Ruth said, only death separate us, Naomi. I'm going back with you to Bethlehem. So she went. They both went back to Bethlehem. 
They both went back to seek the bread that had visited Judah, but they were going for different reasons. Naomi was going because of a broken heart, and Ruth just wanted to know Jesus. Just wanted to know the same God that Naomi knew. So Ruth knew. Ruth knew, according to Ruth 2.2, that she would find grace in the sight of Boaz. She knew it in her heart. Man, I'll tell you what, you leave the sin of this world, you go for Jesus and seek out his kingdom, and I'm telling you what, you're going to find grace. According to Ephesians 2.8.9, you will find grace. And Naomi, this broken and contrite heart in Psalms 51, 17. And if you know Jesus and you feel like Psalms 107, 23 through 30, who's just at your wit's end because of life, when you leave Moab and you get back to Judah, even if you have to go alone, you're going to find something to make your heart okay. The interesting thing, it even says in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19, remember what people said? If you've been reading this uh, over and over and over, like I suggested, you're going to know. In Ruth 1, 9, what did the people in Bethlehem asked Naomi when she got home. There was a question. Is this Naomi? It's in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19. How would you like to? You know, I, <laughs> this, is, this happens though. Let me tell you, when you get older and you see somebody you've known 20 years ago, it happened to me right at that door with a lady that came to Bible study a few weeks ago. I knew her at, when it was Kansas City Baptist Temple in Raytown, Missouri, probably 20 years ago. And she walked up to the door and I saw her and I looked at her and she looked at me and it was like, <laughs> that really hurt? <laughs> and then I looked again and I thought, well, yeah, I recognize her. We change. We change. Time has a way of changing us, and so does life. The life that you live and the trials that you go through, it shows. And when Naomi got back, the people said to her, in Ruth chapter 119, so the two went till they came, that's Ruth and Naomi, the two went till they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they came to come to Bethlehem that all of the city, that'd be like the whole church, okay, was moved, was, uh, where am I, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, is this Naomi? Is this really Naomi? Can't you just hear it? You know, all these little groups of people, they see this lady come in, and they go, is that Naomi? Are you sure that's her? I don't want to say I, Naomi, if it's not her, you know. That's how much she had changed because of what had happened in Moab. She had been there at least 10 years, we know of, according to the Bible, uh, 
living in a land of idol worship. I mean, that's got to get to you. That'd be like living in a city without a church that preaches the gospel, okay? She's in Moab. She's there with all the idol worship. Then her two sons, then her husband dies. And then both of her sons die. I mean, life is showing on this woman. The word Naomi, it simply means delight and pleasant. So when she left this place, this was a woman who was beautiful. Very beautiful, I'm sure. She was delightful. She was a pleasant woman. But when she got back, things were different. Because when you read Ruth chapter 20 verses, or Ruth 1 chapter, <laughs> when you read Ruth chapter 1 verses 20 and 22, she said to them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. And I used to think when I read that, just skimming over, that's a pretty name. You know, Mara, okay. <laughs> For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home in, again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Who is she blaming for her circumstances? She's blaming God. It's right there in black and white. And when she got back, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. And that word Mara, if you look it up in your Strongs, you will find out a synonym of Mara is better. Why was she so bitter? Because of what had happened in her life. That's why she was bitter. The interesting thing, there is a scripture in Exodus 15.23 that talks about waters at Mara, M-A-R-A-H. Go ahead and flip it. It's in Exodus 24. Ah, uh, 15. Gosh, I'm sorry, you guys. Don't listen to me. Just look at that one. <laughs> Exodus 15, 24 through 25. Let's read it. It was after the Israelites had left Egypt. They were in the wilderness. They were wandering. They needed something to drink. They were thirsty. And in verse 23, when they came to Mara, which is a geographical location on a map, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. bitter. Now notice the spelling in Exodus uh, 15.23 has an H on it. Naomi's name didn't have the H, but if you check it out, you'll find out it's the same word. Okay. So they found waters at Mara, and the people began to murmur, or murmured, 
against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Well, that'd be my question, you know. How do we drink this water? It's bitter, it's poison, we can't drink it. He cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them, and he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do which is right in his sight, will give ear, listen to this, give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon these, which I have brought from the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. You understand what he just told him? You love me. You do what I say. You keep my commandments. You obey me. And he said, none of these diseases, this water, this bitterness, it's not going to affect you. Wow. Telling you what, when God had Moses throw that tree in that bitter water, there was another tree in the New Testament that our Savior hung on that has taken care of any bitterness that could possibly dominate our lives. And what Exodus chapter 15 is looking forward to is looking forward to the cross of Calvary. The only cross, it's only the cross that can make what is bitter sweet. And you go, you don't know my life. You don't know my life. We could all, in a second if we wanted to, get mad at God and say, life isn't fair. And you know what? Life really isn't fair. <laughs> But God is. Amen. So it comes down to the tree in the water. I want to read you something. I thought this is worthy of our time. It's called The Tree for the Cross. It was written by someone by the name of Colin Moffat. And here's what he had to say about Exodus 24, 15, 24 through 25, and the cross of Calvary. I stood in the forest growing so strong. From all my companions, I was numbered among. They picked me out as the rough-barked tree to crucify the Savior of men on the hard wood I felt each blow as they cut me down, then paired of the branches of my leaf topped the crown. And one of them, and used one of them, the limbs of my loss, to nail it to my trunk and form me as a cross. They brought Jesus out with his thorn-crowned head the wounds of his body were dripping blood red. And they tossed me over his shoulder to carry me along. 
but they had abused him so much, he was no longer strong. He could not carry me, but I carried his frame, for he was fixed to my trunk, and they pinned on me his name. As they nailed his hands and feet, I felt that I could feel his pain, for each nail through him pierced into my wood. Secured to my timber, they lifted us both high, and they stood back to mock and watch Jesus die. In the long, dreadful hours, so solemn and dark, I felt his poor body writhe on my bark. Its roughness I hated, and I wished it to be smooth. For he would have given anything, I would have given anything, his body to soothe. My sap mixed with his blood, and his sweat, he was perspiring, and knew by his breathing, his life was expiring. The trembling of his body slowly diminished, then ceased all breathing, for life was finished. A savior of sinners hanging dead on me, and I wished otherwise it could be. For I did not want to be the one to carry on me God's dear son. But I was ordained that Jesus should die on a tree, and his blood that was spilled was spilled on me. The wood of my body is long since gone. A risen Savior still lives on. When by coming to Jesus, sinners can recover their loss, I'm glad I played my part by being the tree for the cross. That is the wood, the tree of Marla. That is what was thrown in bitter waters that has made life sweet for us is the cross of Calvary. So the tree the Lord raised on Calvary, God showed us a tree that can make life sweet. When it's real in a person's life, when the cross is real, the empty cross is real in your life, <coughs> it takes the bitterness of circumstance and makes it a blessing that can, if you and I are willing, to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, what Jesus went through was pretty rough. But the end result was salvation for you and me and glory to the Father. <clears throat> Sometimes what we go through is rough. But he has never asked you and me to do anything that he hasn't gone through before. So what must me, you and I as believers in Christ have to do to accept the peace of God? Look at Colossians 3.15. You go, well, I just don't get this. I just, I know Jesus is Savior, but I'm messed up. Well, okay. Look at Colossians 3.15. 
If this bread from a far country is our final authority, then this must work. Look at Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God. Do you know, <laughs> I had a pastor one time say that I respected at that time very much. Every word of God is important. God chose specifically every word he put in the book. <coughs> and that little word, let. That would say we have a choice of whether or not we are going to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. And when we come to the point where we have no forgiveness in our lives for each other, when we come to the point where we are mad at God, when we are to the point to where we just hate life because of circumstances, you need to take a look at what's going on and say, wait a minute, Naomi was a bitter woman. But God reminds us that the Savior who came out of Bethlehem and bore the cross of our salvation is capable of giving us peace if we will let him. So who's peace? Well, that's easy. That's in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. You know, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. In Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. I don't know, you guys, if we will ever have the opportunity in here to do the fruit of the Spirit. Study. But if you look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. He is our peace. But you go, wait a minute. Jesus is in heaven, right? Right. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. But I got good news. When he, went, when he left and went back to the Father, he didn't take peace with him. He left it with us. And it's in John 14, 27. Let's start with verse 26. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Look what he says. Peace. I leave with you my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's okay. He is such a merciful Savior that when he went back to heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit of peace. To minister to our needs. What an awesome God. In Ruth 2.14, it's time to eat. <laughs> Here comes the food, okay? In Ruth 
Boaz said unto her, to Ruth, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed. You know what this virtuous woman is going to do? You know that food she went afar to get? Yes? yes. She's going to sit down and eat. It's mealtime. Well, what did she eat? Bread and vinegar. That bread that she dipped in the vinegar is prophesied in Psalm 69:21. Psalm 69:21. This is a prophetic verse of scripture. You can take it and go back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 34, and read it, where it actually happened. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, when you look at the book of Ruth, when she sat down to eat, what did she do with the bread? She dipped it in what? Vinegar. Vinegar. Well, okay, let's think about what we've talked about this morning. Who is the bread from heaven? Jesus. That came from a far country. Jesus Christ. And he calls himself in John 6, the bread from heaven. Well, that bread from heaven in uh, Psalm 69:21, is prophesied to drink vinegar. Did it happen? Yes. Look at John 19, verses 29 and 30. John chapter 19, verses 29 and 30. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. This is when Jesus was dying. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Awesome. Here's a woman who is called a virtuous woman sitting down to, to meal, to eat, with a Jewish redeemer, and he gives her bread dipped in vinegar. Do you guys get this? A Gentile church sits down with a Jewish redeemer. And he says, here, take my body, eat, and remember, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we do it at this church once a month. On a regular basis. On a regular basis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember what Sunday we did it on. Fifth Sunday. Every fifth Sunday. Thank you. We sit down and we take the Lord's table. 
You know what you're remembering when you put the piece of bread in your mouth? You're remembering that morsel of bread that the church dipped in vinegar and that Jesus said, it is I did it. It's over. I died for your sin. And that vinegar, if you look up that word vinegar in the Strong's, it simply means to be fermented, to be pungent, to be harsh. And sometimes synonyms are also listed as cruel and grieved and leavened. If you study your Bible, you will find out whenever there is leaven in bread, it's a picture of sin. Whenever there is a fermentation in regard to bread, it is a type of sin. That's yeast, we would call it. You know what you put in bread and it makes it rise and all that. But in the Bible, the fermentation and the vinegar that is leavened is a type of sin. Doesn't that go along with what the Bible says about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Get it? Yes. Then they gave me also gall, uh, Psalm 69:21 says, for my thirst. You know what they gave him to drink when he was dying? They gave him poison. They gave him poison for food and sin to drink. That's our Jesus. What he ate and what he was offered is what we are. So we didn't get what we deserve. And that we could partake of the bread from heaven and the water of life. In John 14, 14 and John 6, 35. That's what we got out of it. So as Ruth dipped the bread in the vinegar, God reminds us Jesus was plunged into sin so we can have everlasting life. And as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, when we partake of the Lord's table, we're reminded of the bread that became sin so we can be righteousness in his sight. And when he bowed his head, salvation was done. According to Hebrews 10.18, there is no more offering for sin. That's it. Religions, cults that teach you or have doctrine that say salvation by works is a lie. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. In Deuteronomy 32, 15. Need to look at it. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 15. 
study this verse if you want to, but there's, there's, there's something that we need to get about Jeshurun. <clears throat> that happened to him when he forsook the Lord. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Lot to say about that, but we'll go on. <laughs> then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Here's the deal. Lightly esteemed. In John 12, 24, we have talked about this verse some. <clears throat> if you want to look at it. This is where Jesus is talking about his own death. He refers to himself as a corn of wheat. Remember talking about this in John 12, 24? Verily, verily, this is, Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The lightly esteemed rock, of course, is Christ. Are we all clear on that? We're all good on that? Let me give you the verse that you can be in agreement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, it says they did drink the same spiritual drink for they drink of that spiritual rock, capital R, and that rock that followed them was Christ. They drink of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we were talking about the lightly esteemed rock. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. When that lightly esteemed, when that one that everybody just goes up, you know, and blows off, was planted as a corn of wheat in John 12, 24, there was fruit produced. And as Ruth sat beside the reapers, did you notice what Boaz handed her to eat? What did he hand to her? Parched. Parched. Now, unfortunately, as Gentiles in the continental United States, in the year, whatever, 2019, we think of corn as corn. Corn on the cob. That's what goes through my head. Oh, yes. Brain on the butter. Corn on the cob. She was eating corn on the cob. No, she wasn't. She was eating barley corn. Hadn't they just harvested barley? They were getting ready to harvest barley. She was eating corn that was barley. When Jesus, and possibly wheat, 
When Jesus Christ refers to his death in John chapter 12, verse 24, what does he say his death is like? A corn of what? Wheat. So when Ruth sat down to eat and Boaz handed to her dried, parched corn. That's what parched is. Dried corn. And the awesome thing is on this word parched, the root word, if you're using your strongs, this will put you on your face. I was using the strongs and I was looking up that word, you know, lightly esteemed because I just, I just, um, excuse me, parched. I just wanted to see for sure I had it straight in my head. And I looked up that word parched, and a synonym is lightly esteemed. Whoa. He handed her to, to her lightly esteemed wheat or barley. Now, who is it that's lightly esteemed? Who is it that nobody cares about? Who is it that takes for granted? Jesus, right? The rock of our salvation? Well, when that rock was lightly esteemed, God says, I want you to remember the corn of wheat. Every time you see the lightly esteemed rock, remember the corn of wheat. Yes, sir. We're trying. And when you do that, you go to John 12, 24, and you remember that was my body put in the grave. And I died. That corn of wheat died, but it didn't stay in the ground. It brought forth much fruit. And I think I, I mentioned one time in here before, you plant grain in the ground, what do you get? You get whatever you plant. And if you plant a grain of wheat, what are you going to get? You're going to get a stalk of wheat, hopefully. And what is on that stalk? A lot of grain. Not just one little grain. A lot of grain. Well, God says, I put Jesus in the ground. I let him die. He was there three days. Uh, and nights, and on the third day, he rose from the, rose from the dead. And he says, when he came out of the tomb, he brought forth anybody who will receive him as Savior. Yes. He brought forth much grain, much fruit yes. when he died. The seed of death planted by Jesus brought forth the fruit of our salvation. Yes. And then notice, after Ruth ate, something wonderful happened. She was satisfied. Yes. I think that is awesome. I don't know. Have you ever eaten and not been satisfied? <laughs> Who has? Oh my God, every day. <laughs> you know. No, no, no. You can eat. I have eaten, you guys, I'm embarrassed to say. You know, you fill your plate where it's like this, rounded, and you eat all of that. And you go, okay, now let me think, what was the best? I can go get, I can get more, you know? <laughs> You're full up to here, but something in your brain says, I'm not quite satisfied with that. I think I, could, I would like this and this. When Ruth finished eating, she was satisfied. Yes. And Psalms 107 verse 9 says, He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Mm -hmm. 
the gentleness of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, satisfies and fills us with goodness. The virtuous woman is a satisfied person. She may not have everything the world has to offer. Probably not. <laughs> Could have. And if she does, lift your hand toward heaven and thank God for everything. But if not, she knows contentment because of having tasted of the bread of life. And she knows what it is to, to be delivered from her sin. She knows the peace of God that passes all understanding. That God says you can have it every day. Every day you live, you can have that because of the cross of Calvary. And she understands the abundant life. She gets it. In John chapter 10, verse 10, I always misquote this verse, so I gotta read it. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill, but to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Wow. Yes. And I always add to that a full and a meaningful life. <laughs> because that's what God gave me. Life more abundantly. You got it. You got it all. Well, why all of this? For one reason. So she could share it with other people. Because in Proverbs 31.15, the Bible says, She ariseth while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. This woman gets up at night and cooks? Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't even want to make hot dogs when it's noon, you know? <laughs> What's she doing? Well... These words, riseth, and yet, and night, if you look those up in the Strongs, what is it this woman does? She never gives up giving out the word to her family and friends. She gets up at night. What are you talking about? She gets up especially at the midnight hour. Now, we've talked about this some before. Because I mentioned Jesus is coming. And I don't know. I'm planning on being here when he comes. I hope you are too. Because it could be today. And we are at the midnight hour culturally in the world. Not just in the states, in the world. And the one minute I've mentioned before, before midnight, is the darkest hour of a 24-hour period. Because physically, that is when the globe, when it's turning on its axis, is the farthest away from the sun. Spiritually, we are the farthest away from the sun this planet has ever been. We are condoning sin. 
that 20 years ago we would have never spoken in our homes or to our kids. We're at the midnight hour and she gets up while it's dark and she gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. What is the meat? John chapter 6 verses 27 and verse 55. Jesus Christ speaks of the meat. John chapter 6. And a lot of people take this out of context and mess it all up. And you can do that fairly easily. In John chapter 6 verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Who's going to give us the meat of everlasting life? Jesus is, right? Mm -hmm. All right, well, if you look at then verse 55, he says, my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed we are here today free to speak the word of god because christians have given their lives for john 6:55. christians who have been horribly died horrible deaths at the hand of governments in the past and now because people say you're a cannibal if you are a Christian you eat his flesh and you drink his blood you're a cannibal and they died for that not denying this verse but if those guys had looked a little farther down, they would have seen what Jesus was talking about. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, the flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak, they are spirit. And they are life. He wasn't talking about physically eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was talking about what he was going to do when he, in verse 27, said, labor not for the meat, for that meat which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of God, Son of Man, shall give you. That meat is compared to everlasting life not cannibalism. So when she gives out meat, what is she doing? What is she doing repeatedly over and over and over again while it's night? What is this woman doing? In John chapter 11 and verse 10, the thief cometh not by for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When does the thief come? At night. To do what? Steal. And to rob. And to kill. That's why she has to get up at night. That's why it's the midnight hour. 
That's why she doesn't quit. Because somebody is after men's souls. And this woman isn't going to stop giving it out. She gives out meat to men who are stumbling in the night to give them the light of the word because if a man walketh at night, he stumbleth. That's what the Bible says. She gives out to the word to those people who are without light. And if you notice, she gives it then to her family. Family and friends. And then when she's found faithful there, God will trust her to minister to other people. You know, ladies, if you are married and if you have children and if you have grandchildren, if you have great-grandchildren, whatever you got, <laughs> you are responsible to, number one, minister to your husband. Yes, minister to your husband. And then you are responsible to minister to your kids. That's, that's your realm of responsibility first that God has entrusted. And then what does she do? She tells them she's found faithful there. And then what she does when God says, wow, all right, you're doing good here. I can trust you. With others. Jesus Christ speaks of being found faithful and giving the word to our families as we watch for his soon return. Because the Bible says in Matthew 24, 45 through 46, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord when blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. You know what we want to be doing when Jesus says, come up hither? He wants to find us faithful, giving this book to other people. The meat of the word. And sometimes we find it easier to minister to someone we don't know than to give the word to our families. I don't get that, but it's true. Well, I have to go back and eat Thanksgiving with them. <laughs> you know, they're going to hate me if I tell them about Jesus now. I better wait. So what should we do, virtuous women? Just keep on giving out the word where there is light, isn't light, and suffer long. First Peter 5, 2, feed the flock, feed the flock. But have you ever tried to serve something at dinner when you didn't have a clue as to the recipe on how to prepare it. <laughs> oh, Lord, help. I want to make, I don't know what you want to make. Uh, I want to make um, something really good. So you come up with this idea. And you don't have the recipe. So you go searching for the recipe. And you hope somebody you know and love has it. And then you can get on the internet. Do that. It works. I've tried it. You can get on the internet sometime and plug something in and a recipe will pop up. Because you can't serve a dish and prepare it if you don't know the recipe. You can't minister the word of God if you haven't tasted of it yourself. 
Because this is the recipe for ministry. It's the word. And you go, well, I don't know one bit of scripture. Well, you don't know the recipe. You need to read, study, memorize the word of God. Delight in it. Meditate on it. And you go, I do that and I'm learning nothing. Yes, you are. Because Isaiah says the word of God will not return void unto him. And you can guarantee yourself that when you're reading this book and you go, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. There is somebody who does and is pleased with what you are doing. And when you get to the point when you're old enough, mature enough, and ready to receive it, the Holy Spirit will open the floodgates and you'll go, when did God put that in the Bible? <laughs> I've done it. You know, you read your Bible, you read your Bible, and all of a sudden you flip over and you read a scripture you've read a hundred times and you finally get it. Yeah. He's faithful. God is faithful. He wants us to know this book more than we want to know it. And whatever it takes, God will bring us back to his word. He wants the best for us. Sometimes when we forget what the best is. He wants us to be the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31. He wants women to receive him as savior. He wants women who will serve him till they die or until Jesus comes. But you have to know the word of God so you can serve it. We have to stop. We didn't finish this. So next week we'll go on with food. We will review for those ladies who couldn't be here today. <clears throat> 